We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Nosotros crecemos cuando damos. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity, a podcast celebrating generosity at work. Not financial giving, giving valuable time, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity, the dividend of investing in others. I'm your host, Shannon Cassidy, CEO and founder of Bridge Between Inc. Today, my guest is Michael Smith, Executive Director of Cradles to Crayons in Philadelphia, an organization that provides children from birth to age 12 living in poverty with the basic essentials to thrive at home, at school, and at play. Their model relies heavily on connecting communities by engaging thousands of family, corporate, and community volunteers to collect, sort, and pack essential items for children. Under Michael's leadership, they are serving more than 300,000 children across the greater Philadelphia region through a network of over 275 social service agencies, including homeless shelters, domestic violence centers, and foster care. Welcome, Michael. Well, thank you, Shannon. I'm absolutely thrilled to be here. For a little bit of background, do you mind giving us um, a little intro to you and more information about Cradles to Crayons? As you may guess, I didn't actually grow up in America, but Philadelphia was a wonderful landing spot for me because I had friends who were starting a software company. And up to that point, I'd been in retail. I had um, a stint trying to be a fish geneticist to feed people in Africa. And all of this was a sort of convoluted way to start my own business, graphic design and publishing on microcomputers. But in working for artists, it was very collaborative and helping to help them make work really made me think about helping others much more. I, and I moved to the nonprofit sector, was helping underprivileged kids in about eight school districts in southeastern Pennsylvania. And I fell in love with the kids. We were trying to launch them to be the first generation kids in college. And it was such exciting work. And when the opportunity came up to see the Cradles to Crayons model, which is collect gently used and nearly new children's items from the community, that stuff is, is absolutely the fuel for our giving factory. And we engage over 2000 volunteers a month to pack and sort that into custom packages for children aged zero to 12 in the greater Philadelphia region. We also do that in Chicago and in Boston, and we were hoping to open in New York um, before the COVID crisis. But the great thing is on the day that they come and volunteer with us, they know the name of the child, the age of the child, and they have a shopping list that is customized for that individual child. And through the help of volunteers, we'll help over 90,000 children this year. So you mentioned the giving factories, but is that like corporate teams? Is that individual families? Well, the way that the Giving Factory works is that we have uh, seven or nine shifts a week. We have a very small team of paid staff, which keeps our costs down. And they work to collect the product from the community 
and it lands in the giving factory. And there we run shifts where families can come in and they work for two hours. We have a saying in the giving factory that quality equals dignity. We want to make sure that the items that we pack, the items that we provide, are the things that you would put on your child. We make sure that we have at least four checks for quality throughout the warehouse. And then finally, the clothing comes together with toys, with books, with shoes, with school and art supplies that other volunteers have sorted and helped to pack ready for an order. And we don't serve the children directly. We work with about 275 partner agencies in the human services sector. So they might be homeless shelters, they might be kids who are the victims of domestic violence. And to give you a sense of the children we're serving, a child who's the victim of domestic violence typically leaves home, usually with their mother, um, at, typically in the middle of the night when the abuser is asleep, usually arrive at a shelter only with their PJs. And so if we can get them clothing, shoes, books, toys, all of those items that a kid would normally have, it restores some sense of normalcy in their world. Mm. Oh my gosh, thanks for educating us about that and, and making us more aware and sensitive to the individuals who you're serving and the circumstances that they're in. And so they'll end up at a shelter or an agency and then the agency will let you know that that child is there and their age and their gender and resources become available to them. Yes, and it's incredibly custom. Um, we had a little boy and a little girl who ended up in a McDonald's um, in a snowstorm a year or so back. And they were dressed only in very thin clothes. Um, they did have shoes. And it turned out that their dad was incarcerated, their mom had died, an older sister was looking after them, and she was just overwhelmed by the situation of looking after these two kids. So the agency that picked them up from the McDonald's got them into um, the care of their grandmother. And it turned out that the little girl liked the Lion King and she liked pink. And so in that pack, we made sure that there was a Lion King book and that there were some pink clothing items. And apparently the grandma said she didn't let go of the Lion King book for about three days. So, Oh, that's such a beautiful example. I love that. So individuals volunteer their time, they volunteer clothing. You've mentioned the clothing insecurity, which is a really helpful thing for those of us who are listening to learn that that is something that is really desperately needed. We all think about housing insecurity and we think about food insecurity because those are terms that we hear over and over again. However, what we don't hear about is clothing insecurity. And the United Nations um, state that food, clothing, and housing are the basic needs for any human being on the planet. Mm -hmm. And yet, for clothing, there is absolutely no federal, no state, and no city funding for that fundamental basic human need. Um, most of the programs don't pay for it. Some states have um, a limited amount of funding for kids at the start of the school year, but it's really not very much when you think that it probably costs about $600 to get a kid ready for school. And I know there's poverty all over the world. What can you educate us about the city of Philadelphia? I think it's shocking 
frankly, that Philadelphia has the highest rate of deep poverty in the nation. And what that means is that the federal standard for poverty for a family of four is about $22,000 a year for a family of four to live on, which in itself is a small amount of money. But deep poverty is when a family of four is living on about half that, so $11,000 a year. So you can see that deep poverty in a city like Philadelphia is, is a really serious issue for about 146,000 kids. And if you look at the greater Philadelphia region, it's about 300,000 kids. You know, when you hear numbers like this, our instinct might be like, what could I actually do to help that mass amount of people with that deep level of need? We sometimes don't do anything because we don't think that the little thing that we can do would make a difference. And what I heard you say before is two hours of con- contribution and volunteerism can make a massive amount of difference. Like, what is your philosophy on the amount of help that one person can offer? You're right. When you hear 140,000 children living in poverty in Philadelphia, um, A, it's invisible for most of us. And B, how, how is one person going to do anything to help mitigate that? It's, it's, it is totally daunting. And I think that's why the giving factory and the cradles to crayons model is really such a, an amazing starting point, particularly for families and also for corporations. One of the great things about the model is that we can engage groups of up to 100 or groups as small as a mom and her son or a daughter to come in and work with us for two hours. But also it's an entry point where anyone, probably when going out, can buy a pair of socks for their kids and then think about buying another pair of socks for another kid and bring it to the giving factory. Same with underwear, same with school supplies. When you're thinking about getting your kid ready, for school, you know you're going to be buying pens, pencils, and, and paper, and all of those other items. Just buy two of them. And it's a fairly modest investment when the sales are on. So absolutely everybody can contribute. And then what's free is that you can come and volunteer. And we know from research that's been done that families with kids who volunteer build that Army, what we call an army of empathy in kids, kids who start to recognize the fact that even, you know, as a four or five year old coming into our giving factory, they can do something meaningful. They can clean shoes or they can work with their mom or dad and pack an order for a kid so they can identify perhaps with a child who's exactly their age um, and they can see that this kid needs shoes. And perhaps this is the first time a child has ever thought that, oh, there are kids without shoes. And it's really funny. We often find on Saturdays that a child or children come in with their parents and they're really, they really want to be playing baseball or they really want to be playing with their friends. And they're really not that happy to be uh, dragged in, let's say, by their, their, their mom and dad. And they work for two hours. Um, they pack orders. And they go away from the giving factory in the morning. And then we find in the afternoon 
The kids are coming back with beaming smiles, having completely emptied their closets and filled the minivan with all their toys and clothes that they no longer need. And it's at that point the parents aren't so pleased because they had plans for the afternoon, but this kid was determined to try and fill the gaps that they experienced when they were trying to pack the order that morning. (laughs) It really changes kids. Yeah. What does the research show about the long-term implication of a child who's engaged with a place like Cradles to Crayons that early on in their lives? We have seen from the data that children who volunteer when young tend to be more philanthropic adults. And interestingly enough, there's a sort of sidebar to that is that not only do the children who volunteer become more philanthropic, there's you know, a percentage or two uptick in increased philanthropy in their siblings who didn't even volunteer. And it's amazing. We have kids who started with us at about age eight who wrote their college essay and were still volunteering with us at 18. Wow, it had that kind of an impact on them. Because like you said, when, when you connect the volunteerism and the donations to a specific person, when it's not just for people in need, but it's for this person and this person, and you have their name and their age and their, you know, where they go to school maybe, and you, you just start to connect. Like, what is, what is the psychology behind that? When you give back, when you give something, um, it actually triggers a, a piece of your brain that, that is very akin to um, the pleasure part of your brain. And so that giving changes people's sort of mental state uh, and makes them feel good. And uh, I think that's why we have so many repeat volunteers, not only from families, but, but from our corporations. Now, part of it is because corporations are looking to grow corporate social responsibility programs. It's also because we are one of the few places where we can host a group of about 100 or more. So it's great that a whole community in a corporation can come and volunteer. And it really helps to to bond that community. And not only that, there are sort of real benefits to corporations that I'm sure you know is the fact that um, by being an employer who engages in an active corporate social responsibility program, uh, turnover goes down. Uh, I've heard the figure stated about up to 50%. Um, your share price can go up. Uh, sales increase. And I've heard that if by any chance your corporation does a misstep, that you recover faster if you have an employee giving program because People like to know that their corporations are doing good. When we come back, Michael will share with us what young people are looking for when joining organizations. If you had more time in your day, what would you do with it? Listening to podcasts might not be the first thing you think of. Maybe that's because you're thinking podcasts take too much time to listen to. But what if there were podcasts designed with your time in mind? Podcasts that spoke to you. Podcasts that you could listen to in short segments. We've put together podcasts exactly like that. The Quad Pod Network is coming soon. Check out qodpod.com for more details. At Bridge Between, we believe that generosity is the future of leadership. 
That's why we coach corporate leaders on how to lead by generous example, creating workplaces where employees feel valued and invested, where wins are celebrated, and where teams feel engaged and connected. The new CEO doesn't have to choose between innovation and company culture. They encompass both. Are you ready to be remarkable? Visit bridgebetween.com and get started today. And we're back with Michael Smith. What we're seeing is that young people who come to organizations are looking for much more than just the job. They're wanting a culture. They're wanting a culture of giving. And what we're seeing is that those organizations who have a culture of giving, who incorporate it into their day-to-day mission, they are more able to attract employees and the younger employees Um, and retain them, which, as we know, is a very, very expensive part of running a business. Mm -hmm. Finding them and acquiring them, retaining them, and keeping them motivated. Because what I'm hearing you say is they are motivated because they believe in the mission of the organization, not just the product or service, but like what the organization stands for. One of the returns on generosity is that attractiveness to a certain population of people who are mandating that their companies care about things beyond the walls of that corporation. Um, so COVID-19 has created all kinds of issues for everyone. How has it affected your organization? And I've heard you say that in COVID, it's more of a marathon versus a sprint. So I'd love to hear your thoughts just on how you're managing it and what we could then translate that into our own organization and you know how we're dealing with change we normally have 2500 volunteers a month coming through our giving factory warehouse and we normally rely on the community to donate product from their closets or from collections um, from consignment uh, stores and so when covid hit basically for the safety of our team for the safety of our volunteer and collection community, we just basically had to say stop. So in mid-March, suddenly we had no product, we had no workforce, and we had to pivot and really think about what it is that our families need at this juncture. I'm sure all of us can remember going to the store when the COVID crisis hit. No paper products, no diapers, no hygiene items. And so no wipes. And so what we heard from our partners, we need diapers, we need wipes, we need hygiene items. We need activity kits because we've got kids who are home from school. We're struggling to homeschool them. We're not the experts. And anything you can do to help us keep kids engaged would be useful. So we created a slightly different pack, which was a toy, a few books, and lots of paper and crayons and uh, arts and crafts supplies, activity books where we had them. Um, And all of those are new. So we knew it was safe to supply to partners. So we launched an emergency essentials fund to help funnel money into these purchases because these are things that we wouldn't normally 
buy in bulk. We'd rely on donations from uh, the manufacturers who are always very generous to us. Um, we rely on donations from other nonprofits that collect and consolidate and work with other corporations. So there are a number of streams where we get that donated product, but never in the volume that we were hearing our partners needed at this particular juncture. What we're seeing that's again um, a function of the generosity of communities in this particular crisis. So what happened was that the city came together with a number of foundations and corporations and they formed a fund to give back to people like us. And we're very grateful to receive money from that fund. And then what we did was we went out to those corporate partners who've sent volunteers, who've helped us in the past, and they opened up their supply chain to us. And so we managed to get access to diapers that weren't appearing in the stores, but we got them at cost. And so any money that we get through the fund, we can probably multiply its effect by, by, by about four times. So again, that generosity at the front end leads to a multiplying effect on the number of kids that we can serve at the back end. I think that's a key point for all of us to learn about generosity is the collective giving model. Because if I just went and bought a pack of diapers and dropped it off at an agency, that's a good thing to do, better than not doing that. But if I made a contribution to a Cradles to Crayons where you could multiply that investment because of your relationships with suppliers and because of the way in which you have relationships with both the, the city and these vendor partners and your community partners that it can really just compound the effectiveness of a single donation. That is one of the best things about the Cradles to Crowns model is the fact that it brings together communities to enhance the impact and build a collective generosity that where you might otherwise be daunted by that 140,000 kids in need, by engaging with everybody else, you can make a significant impact. And then you talked about how the uh, organizations within Philadelphia combined and collaborated. I mean, what has been your experience of community collaboration, you know, people really working together and banding together? It has been overwhelmingly impressive and humbling, frankly, um, to see how in reaching out that I don't think anybody said no. Absolutely everybody has said, okay, let me think about what that might be. And it, there's a fountain of, of generosity in the community. We know it on a daily basis because of the work that we do. But in a time of crisis, we've seen it really elevated to the point that it's, it's sometimes overwhelming um, at how much people are ready to give back right now. Yes. And I think it speaks to that we're wired for contribution. We're wired for empathy, compassion, for helping. I think that it's a, a human condition that we care. And we may have been taught otherwise that we're wired for competition and you know whoever has the most stuff wins. But I think what I'm hearing you say is that that isn't fundamentally how the human is designed. It sounds like in a time like this, it brings out a natural 
form of humanity, which is compassionate. One point about that, it's really fun when we have corporations in the giving factory because they are competitive and they compete to see how much good they can do in two hours. So I, I, I wouldn't say that people aren't competitive and we love it when they do come in and they do compete to see how many kid packs they can make or how much they can sort. Um, but I think underlying that is the desire to do more and to help more and to have an impact. I mean, we have kids who go to school in their mums or their sisters' hand-me-downs. And when they get to within a block of the school, they take it out and stuff it in their backpack so that they don't appear in school in something embarrassing. And I, I remember a, a young man who just got a, a jacket from us this winter, and it was a North Face jacket. And he apparently had always wanted a North Face jacket. This kid got the coat of his dreams. Mm. And how important that was to him and his self-esteem and his ability to fit in. And as much as we all wish that that wasn't the way society is, it is. So to give him the freedom and the confidence and how that can affect how he shows up in class and how he demonstrates his personality in front of friends. I think that's, those are some of the opportunities that you're making possible for these young people. Well, I don't think many of us realize that of the 10 reasons kids don't go to school, three of them are around clothing and school supplies and confidence. So you tapped into it perfectly. We know that kids from lower income backgrounds, if they fail to go to school, it says, I think it's only up to five days or so in their sort of eighth grade it greatly predicts whether they will or won't graduate from high school. So we want to keep kids going to school. So those clothing items, those school supplies, and the confidence that brings are essential in helping a kid, A, feel good, but also in enhancing their chance of graduating high school. That's when the little things are the big things, right? It's, it's something that we all need to take into consideration about what are the, what's one little thing I could do. We have uh, what we call our well-wish cards. We pack 40,000 backpacks for kids at the start of the school year, but every single backpack has a well-wish card saying, do well in school, work hard, have fun, make friends. And what we find is that that card is the item that, kids who receive the backpacks talk about most. The fact that a complete stranger just took a few moments to wish them well in school, even though they didn't even know them. At this juncture in COVID, we have on our website, cradlestocrayons.org, we have a number of different ways that you can engage with us. And then obviously there's, there's funding. And you can be confident that if you give to us, it will be multiplied about four or five times. Thank you. And the kind of competition that you just spoke about is the kind of competition we want to endorse and encourage is how much more can we give? How much more can we help? And by banding together, what I think the theme of what you're saying is we can do more together. Well, we have this, this phrase, an army of empathy. And the army of empathy is consists of our volunteers, but it also consists of our corporate partners, the foundations who help us. It consists of all of those people who collect product for us. It consists of our team of people working to service that. And that army together 
is a force to be reckoned with. And as I said, you know, this, this small nonprofit is helping 90,000 children annually. And that's because of our partners, because of everyone who comes together to focus on helping children. Amazing. Thank you for your leadership, for showing us a demonstration of what generosity looks like and the impact that it can make. We're so grateful for you and your ministry. Thank you, Michael, for being a giver and providing opportunities for others to make a difference. The ROG takeaway tip is created so each of our listeners can consider how you can implement some of the wisdom from each guest in your own organization and life. Michael shared many important and inspiring insights. Here are four you can take away and implement in your own way. Number one, two hours can make a difference. What takes up two hours of your day? Facebook, Instagram, Google searches that become rabbit holes with no end? Where could you contribute two hours? Could you mentor someone, listen to someone, or show up at Cradles to Crayons or the equivalent and serve in your local community? Number two, learn about the needs in your area. As Michael said, so much of the need is invisible. Number three, get one extra thing when you're shopping for yourself or your child. Buy two. Pay attention to sales on socks, underwear, pajamas, sweatshirts. Everyone can contribute. And finally, number four, the talent you aim to attract want a culture of giving that's incorporated in the day-to-day -day mission. For you listeners who are parents, aunts, uncles, friends of young people, families with kids who volunteer build an army of empathy. They recognize that they can do something meaningful. The children who volunteer become more philanthropic. And Michael said, when you give something, it triggers a piece of your brain that's akin to pleasure. So the real takeaway here is give. Find a way to contribute. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.